Extra, extra, this just in, the voice of Johnny Papes bravely and proudly returns to the Small Beans Network as part of a start plate bumper designed to get your money. If you head to patreon.com slash smallbeans and give us upwards of five dollary dues a month, you will get twice as many bold, brazen podcasts, including Star Trek The Next Futurama, Spiel Boys, Help Me, Patreon.com slash Small Beans. He li- I live in his pocket. He doesn't feed me. Please help. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that all right from abe is the most like weathered this is a long creative relationship all right buddy. so, all so right. much history. <laughs> yeah 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 oh all right. right go over in your corner uh let's see let's see here comes a framey rate Woo! and then you know i would do a whole clever rap beat for beat I feel like I've proven I could have done that, and I often put in that amount of work, so just assume I did that. Yeah, a whole Men in Black riff about small beans in jokes and shit. Um, but honestly, welcome to Frame Rate, where we rate frames. How the that- mighty have fallen. Michael Swain, <laughs> I've known to be one of the best, a generational comedian, in my oh, opinion. Coming from Dr. Movies. And now he's just like... You can imagine the joke. Well, dude, speaking of generational comedians, I just wanted to rush through... And get to, you know, one of our besties who we can always talk to, and we mm. usually only bring him on for designated bangers, as we have in this case. Please welcome returning champion Daniel O'Brien. Hello! Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's very funny that uh, you you mentioned how you were, you were like, I think I've, I've proven that I can do that, so you can just imagine it. I feel that way all the time, from being like uh, a very hungry and ambitious comedy writer and comedian who worked tirelessly for so long now i i truly feel like you like i can can i rest on my laurels i know no one is supposed to rest on their laurels Mm -hmm. but like if i just like pitch a joke area you can assume based on my body of work that i would have nailed something in that area i would have knocked it out of the park so let's all just agree that i did that Mm -hmm. and 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 just you laugh and we all move on totally there's I mean, obviously, all comedians hate being when they're told do something funny now when you, they find out you're a comedian. But even beyond that, uh, I feel like there's a strata of fame you get where you become offer only actors and writers. And uh, it has it's disjointed from talent, as so many things are in that industry. But it's yet another surreal where I'm like, I've done it for 15 years You can trust that I can, like when I apply for new jobs in the internet space and they're like, could you really write a lighthearted article about a video game? And I'm like, oh, sir or madam. Yes, (laughs) you don't need to, we don't need to jump through these hoops. Um, But anyway, we digress. When we should be talking about Men in Fucking Black, uh, a a movie that I kind of can't believe we haven't covered before. Abe, do we have a patron to thank for this? 
yes, 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 we do. <laughs> you didn't look it up at the time, did I, you? Uh, uh, no, 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 So I'll no, just no, thank no, Very Baked Potato yet again for yeah, their very, fourth uh, it's, pick it's, in a... It's no, gotta be it? Very Baked Potato. Yeah, 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 it's Very Baked Potato. You did it, and oh, okay, uh, he Verified. requested that D.O.B. be here. Uh, so this is the MIB. Yep, you go. Yeah. It's the, uh, yeah. it's the Dob Mib. Um, so let's start with our standard question, which I have to believe there's some kind of history there. What's your history with Men in Black, Daniel? And, uh, you know, general, like, first blush thoughts, emotional connection to Men in Black, if any. Obviously saw it in theaters. Obviously immediately fell in love with it. I mean, this is a movie in the 90s in my childhood, which is, and it was, like, perfectly in my wheelhouse of uh, kind of weird, super fun it, watching it, it felt like it was for a slightly older audience. And I mean by like a year and a half. It just like felt <laughs> a little bit older than me. And I was so into it. I immediately, uh, I felt, here's just a strange relationship I had to movies in the 90s. And I don't know how common it is. When I saw Jurassic Park, my brothers and I all immediately like demanded to go to a department store so we can buy clothes that looked like the clothes Dr. Alan Grant wore. I wanted, we all wanted the blue uh, button down denim shirt, red bandana, kerchief thing, and khaki pants. And true to form, when Men in Black came out, I was like, that movie was so great. I need those sunglasses and to wear a suit. I want to dress like the, the, the people in the movie, not to go to cons or not for Halloween, just like I want to look like one of the Men in Black uh, in and around my home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get targeted by the real deal, dude. Yeah. They just usher <laughs> you aside. Uh, that's awesome. All I did was make my dad take me to an electric fence so I could climb it and get fried. <laughs> uh, I actually, I my dad did give us something I highly recommend. Probably a few years too early, as was his want. There's these comic books that are these compilations. Various artists do different stories that are all like stuff that's dark in tone or upsetting. So there was like the big book of freaks about, you know, the history of circus sideshows. There's the big book of con artists, serial killers, etc. but all just like interesting real news, you know, factoids. And, uh, the big book of aliens and UFOs, blah, blah, blah. The one section that I was obsessed with and read over and over because there is something so evocative about the idea was the men in black, the one about the men in black. And like this time I, connected which i should have earlier that uh a lot of this stuff does homage to quote unquote real men in black encounters or reports mm-hmm. of men in black encounters like the fact that tommy lee jones is old-fashioned or seems like his lexicon is from the 50s is something that a lot of people who claim to have had encounters with the men in black really say they like they drive an old jalopy and they talk old-fashioned and i discounted that because i'm just like well that's just Tom- tommy lee jones in any movie is yeah. like a decade and a half older than you know whatever the current <laughs> culture is um but yeah this time watching it again through a critical eye i was just impressed by of the structural math and like story math and comedy math as I knew I would be, but also uh, picked up on a whole new level of just like all the loving homages to real mm. men in black stuff. Cause I've been reading, I've been like refreshing on that stuff lately because whether it's a psyop or not, <laughs> the government sent some guy out to say the aliens are here and we have them and we admit it. Right. Uh, if you saw that in the news, I don't know, but yeah, it refreshed my interest. Um, Abe, how about you men in black? 
<clears throat> yeah, it didn't. Uh, I mean, I definitely know what you mean in terms of like fandom for uh, for like Jurassic Park and stuff like that. Men in Black was definitely one that I was like, oh, this is very cool. But I don't know why it didn't stick with me. Like, um, you know, I think it was just a younger age. Um, I think we all did the responsible thing and choose like clothes and stuff like that instead of uh, not listening to the movie, which would be <laughs> don't go make your own facsimiles of dinosaurs. Um, and the same thing goes for Men in Black. I think uh, there's so much lore just around the edges, which is, I guess, just the term I'm using for like it's implied by like things in the background of frame it's implied by like the off-screen thing that like the assumption that a character would say a certain phrase in a certain way which leads you as the audience to believe that oh there's a wider kind of story around here just like knocking it out of the park constantly there's such a yeah. full real world and i think that that like the movies that we're talking about where we really do get fandom is two things. One, it's a, a spectacularly cool world, which, you know, like men in black is. Yeah. And it's also the ex the complete execution of that world as something deeper than what's just on the frames. And I think that, you know, that's why I think it's one of the more beloved franchises. And, you know, it's had like three good, uh, <laughs> it's had three good movies and one terrible movie. It had a cartoon, right. didn't it? Am I, it had a cartoon a dream. Yeah. I think yeah. It, no, it, it had a cartoon. It, it had a cartoon that I, I I watched religiously and I remember being a, like slightly annoyed at the time because the cartoon uh, just played in like basically the, the first half of the world of the movie. Like it ignored the end of Men in Black 1 where Tommy Lee Jones retires and lives a private life. It mm -hmm. ignores Will Smith's character like growing and changing and becoming more of, more of a leader and it just plays in the static buddy cop world of K is really smart and capable. J is, is dumb and a rookie and he's slick and tiger the whole time, which I understand is like, that's your repetitive. Uh, that's your formula. That's your, yeah, that's your a sitcom. That's a cartoon kind of sitcom. Thing. You have to yeah. do that kind of thing. But even as a kid, I was like, there's not Jay's better now. Show Jay being good. He, why, why yeah. did we go through all that growth? Why he, what, right, has he learned right. nothing? Because well, also, you, can't you can't have them be together at the end of the. It's it, you make a canon boring if you like make the the couple kiss. Plus, at the then end, you yeah? have to follow right. L. And then you got a girl on the team. Yeah, <laughs> people don't want to see that on Saturday mornings <laughs> in the nineties. Uh, but I. Yeah, I, I, okay. I don't remember enough about the cartoon to talk meaningfully about that. But I'm just gonna it's pivot fine. back to the movie. Um, the world building is so robust and I don't want to get into the sequels too much um, that they were able to build them. And like, I think three is legitimately also quite good, not as tight and clean as this, um, but it's a breezy, like 93 minutes or something too. Right. Yeah. 98 yes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And so I do want to dive into um, now as like, mm, industry professionals of, of some gradation we're on the board we're on the gradient um yeah. what <laughs> what makes that work like what did they do to do that in 90 minutes because now the order of the day for movies that are big romps like this transformers at all is like two hours and 15 minutes and it's not as clean and not as tight and i would argue yeah. not as fun it's still it's why it's remembered so like you know lauded so much um like I, right I, from get go okay go ahead daniel 
Yeah, I remember so much of this movie from when I saw it as a kid and rewatched it over and over again. Like there, there were very few uh, like line or action piece surprises to me. One of the big things that did surprise me was, uh, and you used the same word a second ago, how cleanly they set things up in the beginning. It's because I yeah. wasn't thinking very structurally when I watched it the million other times in my life. But watching it now, it's just like, here's the first scene. It is a scene uh, with aliens. And we're going to introduce you to Tommy Lee Jones, Agent K. He is a man in black. He's going to kill an alien. He's going to use the memory thing. He is one of your next pl- your major players. Next, here is Will, Will Smith. He is a, a streetwise cop. He is very good at his job. He's going to chase down an alien and be funny while doing it and be like, undeniably cool. Maybe Will Smith at his coolest. He is your next most important player. Next. Here is uh, the guy we're going to spend the entire episode talking about, Vincent D'Onofrio as Edgar. <laughs> he is mm-hmm. the third major player in this movie. We're going to see this asshole farmer get turned into uh, an alien in an Edgar suit. Great. That's established. And then even like a scene after that, I think we're back with Jay in the precinct. And it's it's very brief. But we even get uh, Elle, L- Linda Florentini's character. Mm-hmm. She shows up just to be like, Hey, I work for the morgue. I believe you. Come see me in the morgue. I believe in aliens. And then she gets flashy thing, and we don't see her again for a while. But even that is like within 15 or 18 minutes of this movie, you get a very clear uh, and and clean but still patient introduction to like, here are the four people uh, or three people in an alien that you are going to be spending time with for the rest of this movie. And it was so structured and so clean and so efficient. And I I... That was the big surprise for me. It was like, oh yeah, I guess I didn't realize that as a kid. But yeah, they're really just one by one introducing the characters, giving them a little bit of a world of their own, like a little interior life. And then you get right into the movie and see how they're going to cross paths for the rest of the 98 minute runtime. Yeah, I agree with everything he just said. And I wanted to add that they do the really smart thing that I think a lot of Hollywood blockbusters today don't feel like they have to do uh and it's because they want a wider larger world which as we talked about one of the things we love about this movie is that it does feel large um act one is definitely short it's over like within 20 minutes which is fucking awesome um And I think that the reason that they do that is they just show short snippets of this is happening uh, also this is happening also this is happening uh I, I can't stress how smart in my mind that test scene that it's about 25 minutes into it how smart it is because it's character development tied to plot not only does do we see how uh, will smith is so resourceful how men in black has kind of deal with chaos in an interesting way and to the point of like trolling their own applicants his ability to think outside the box is value and it sets up it sets up Rip Torn. It sets up several yeah. great ways in which the Men in Black infrastructure, just using the two characters of Rip Torn and K, like really are, and like how like the the decisions are made in in black rooms behind mirrors, kind of thing. Uh, the other thing that I thought is in Act Two, really smart, really efficient because it's just one puzzle, and it's just it's like a it's like a checker move, you know. It's just like you move over one space and you move over another space. You don't need to go for a long chain here. It's just a simple chase that stops immediately as it starts. You know, like it lands in the morgue. The cat is just around. We're just waiting for them to realize, oh, 
the cat is important. So it's yeah. not like we have to go on a wide, crazy journey where we go to different places and have failures. It's just a act two that is there's a problem and we're looking for solution. It finally hits and it can happen serendipitously at looking at a cat. You know, that's as mm -hmm. simple as it does. And I think those are really strong structural kind of thinking uh, that was done by the scriptwriter just to make this thing really short, but efficient. Yeah. yeah. Not, I mean, we certainly don't have time to um, just chronologically go through the movie, but I have to triple down on the opening. Uh, I think it's like one of the great all time cold opens. And I mean, just the very, very beginning, uh, because it's people who police aliens, meaning il like un undocumented immigrants. Yeah. Border uh, control. And yeah. then the real people who police yeah. aliens come and go like, no, step away, son. We'll take it from here. Uh, the Rick Baker effects on display immediate, like immediately that that alien you see that then turns CG and gets mad and gets blown up is one of the more impressive aliens in the movie. And they know that. Like, you got to hit them hard with that title track, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Um, their instincts are so spot on with the opening. I remember as a kid, and then Danny Elfman music is the... Oh, you know, oh my God. That, like, dun, 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 that by the time it says... Uh, yeah. Dragonfly is so good. Yeah, and it hits the window, windshield wipers. Like, we all remember it frame for frame because it, when I was whatever, a tween or however old... I was so in so hard by the time yeah. the credits opened. You're like, oh my God, let's do this. This is going to be fucking just, awesome. Just yeah, on that quickly, I, a thing I love about 90s movies that we've, we, I think, have completely stepped away from is I love an opening credits sequence so much. Even though there's not like too much plot happening, it's just like we're going to see a bunch of names of people and we're going to watch totally. really cool visuals and it's this, and it's this bug. And it's like I, I don't know when and why we stopped doing opening title sequences. They're so fun. The music is almost always, it's just like a, like a fun showcase for music. And if you got Danny Elfman, you better fucking do that. And mm -hmm. it ends with the, the beautiful dragonfly that we've been watching fly through space, just get unceremoniously smashed on the window. And the first spoken line in the movie is the driver of the, of the car being like, ah, damn bugs. Ah, bugs. It's like, fuck, that's the whole fucking movie is yeah, bugs. Yeah. The bugs Simple. are the bad guy. This yep. rules. We all agree about opening images and just like <laughs> yeah. thematic resonance. It doesn't have to be much, but it's just like something as simple as Ugh, bugs is like, yeah, yeah, that's all you need. I love also it sets up the fact of like we can all imagine right now the fact that like on the windshield wipers with the green like bug juice, like yeah. it's it doesn't come off and it's like streaky and gross on the window. And that to me is also kind of foreshadowing, not in like a plot way, but just in tonally how grotesque deaths and things are in this movie. Like the Edgar suit flopping out of the hole when yeah, he the dies. Cockroach is the getting exterminator getting the stabbed yeah. with his own sprayer the down gas. the throat. Yeah. Tony yeah. Shalhoub's head getting exploded and growing back. It goes pretty hard for PG-13 all the way through. It's a very gross movie. Yeah. Like Gremlins. Yeah, there's so much goop. It rules. Yeah. And I think another thing is that so, Abe, you know, regular listeners will know Abe and I are working on a an indie movie right now. And anytime tons you do a feature, you stock up on goop. 
Um, <laughs> there's so many steps and so many departments involved, and especially if budget is an object, which it is for us, so I don't know, maybe less so for them. Um, you change it many, 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 many times, all the way up to shooting. You change things and little things, and this is set there now instead. Um, or like so-and-so will pay us to put a windmill in it, so now there's a windmill in it. And <laughs> right. uh, I know that they had to rewrite this a lot, because of things like, you know, the IMDb trivia that tells you how people who pitched and passed. Like David Schwimmer was asked to play the role of Jay before Will Smith. I like to imagine the script was identical. <laughs> and he was going like, I make this look good. And, like um, uh, and then uh, John Landis was offered the chance to direct. Perfect in tone, right? He's directed stuff like that. But he declined saying it was basically just, quote, the Blues Brothers, but with aliens. He later has said he regrets that and was yeah. wrong. Sounds but like sounds like maybe Landis uh, skimmed the script and saw That's sunglasses right. yeah. and suits and two guys and is like, this is just biting my this shit. This is derivative of me. <laughs> yeah. There um, is one thing that I read about, which is just to add a little pepper to it. Uh, it sounds like it was changed late in the game all the way till like Tommy Lee Jones because he he dis he was like, I don't want to do it until the like this is not good this is not a good script mm -hmm. and then steven spielberg came in and was like I, they're working on another one just hold out yeah okay so that's so that's what i was getting at is i feel like and maybe it developed organically but uh i feel like they have the comedy chops to restructure something a thousand times and change the lead to a different tone, a different yeah. like persona and go, that's okay. No matter what, we'll just write new jokes and they'll be very good. Uh, and that's something that I really came to appreciate like learning comedy was that writing a joke is not like lightning striking and you have some, cr it's like performing yeah. a task. And once you learn how to do it, you can choose to perform it on something like you can get a topic and go write jokes about it. And, uh, I just think the jokes are mm -hmm. like, we, it has to be said how good the jokes are like Will Smith is, this is the main reason. Cause I didn't watch fresh Prince as it was coming out. This movie's probably the main reason I think of Will Smith as Will Smith, like as what he is, you know, the, the icon of cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's a late nineties, yeah. one, two, three punch of men in black independence day and bad boys. And, they're oh, yeah. all yeah. wild, wild the, west. Uh, wild, wild west. I think is when I started to turn on Will Smith a little bit. That that was right. that yeah, seemed like fun. the studios being like, "This guy's so great, we can put him in anything." I was like, I'm not sure you can actually. And I think I think this proves it. I think we we should we should be more judicious with uh, where what worlds we're sticking Will Smith. In. <laughs> Our precious <Yeah>. Will. <laughs> um, but yes, I I didn't hear about David Schwimmer. I did hear that Spielberg for a while wanted Clint Eastwood and Chris O'Donnell. Which is, it's a fun, what? like, mm. Clint Eastwood kind of makes a little bit of sense. Uh, he is yeah. a, a coot now, but he has more comedy chops than I think he ever gets credit for. Um, but Chris O'Donnell, that's just such a, a 90s time capsule of the period when we were like, this kid's going to be a star, we're going to make him a star, and it just didn't pan out for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy has had so many, so many attempts. Yeah. And uh, and he every time the scripts and the movies just were not really good. Yeah. <laughs> so that, it's he, unfortunate it, for him. He seemed like uh, uh, a 90s version of Army Hammer before, like the controversy with Army Hammer, where Army Hammer right. was just a guy who showed up on the scene and was like, look at me. Look how handsome I am. Yeah. I should be a famous actor. Uh, right. Why aren't any of my movies right? working? Why aren't I Batman? What the fuck is happening? 
Yeah. And everyone's just like, no, no, we agree. Yeah. We agree. <laughs> uh, but we just don't, didn't like anything you've done yeah. so far. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. I thought I was talented. And he is. Yeah. And they are. Uh, uh, but yeah. I love what my, Mike was saying about like jokes that like can just, you can roll decks with anyone. One One's... Like one of the jokes that I really liked was uh, they kept doubling down on uh, E. Janelle, even though she's been like blasted with the memory, you know, thing. Uh, I just love that they keep coming back to this whole thing where it's just like it's overt flirting. Yeah. And I love the line about a woman who works with cadavers. You know what I like to do late at night? And he goes, yeah. oh, and then he gets it. And then they just don't finish the joke. Yeah. It's we, just like we, never, we never get to find out what, what that is. But like it's, it's a... Uh, a very small thing like she she gets the least to do in this movie but she she doesn't get nothing like even the fact that it's like you work in a morgue and you're uh very capable and you're horny almost all the time like just the fact that that they gave her the extra character flavor of horny all the time is so much more than 90s women get in movies and yeah like yeah. even that like just a fun <laughs> thing for her to play with that she she makes a damn meal out of she gets she's she's horny every time she's on screen and it rules <laughs> it rules and she's not even horny she necessarily it's just the idea of like the things and the interactions that they say cause them to have kind of a flirtation yeah uh and i just love that kind of serendipitous like it's once again that thing that men in black i think does so super well which it just makes us like Oh, there's just cosmic moments that are funny. They're just funny, if anything. Yeah. Kind of like, I don't know, kind of like a Douglas Adams take on it. Yeah. Which I know that they definitely took like Douglas Adams stuff out of this just because they were like, I love the Archelians at one point. They threaten Earth, right? The ship is in our orbit. And it says, deliver the galaxy or the Earth will be destroyed. And then it goes, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's such a very Douglas yeah. Adams thing to me. And I feel like the world is penetrated by like that kind of version of yeah. the galaxy. I wrote down a, a few jokes that I really that that i love that i think could have been in any version of this script with any two people one of them is a, the very early on a thing i'm a real sucker for the first time tommy lee jones does the flashy thing around all of these border patrol agents and he's talking about how they blew up uh 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 like a, a gas line that was under under the the desert and they're like you really you guys really ought to be more careful discharging your firearms especially you. And he points to the guy in the middle who's covered in goop. And every other border agent looks at him as if this was a cop. Like, they were all thinking it. Everyone gives him a look. There's like yeah. six guys that all like, glare yeah. at him like, fucking Ronnie, we've been telling you this. <laughs> yeah. That really got me. Um, yeah, that's so good. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones' line uh, to, I, I think, uh, Linda. No, ma'am, we at the FBI don't have a sense of humor that we're aware of. That fucking got me. Uh, the mm -hmm. scene when Tommy Lee Jones is shaking Frank the pug and Will, Will Smith Christ. turns to like onlookers and he goes, hey, hey don't worry, that, that dog owes my friend money. <laughs> yeah. Really good. I mean, really good such stuff. a killer joke on top of an already one of the funniest things just to be doing, which is shaking a pug yeah. and giving the audience the license to be like, this is fine. I'm yeah. not worried about this because I know it's CG and it's actually not even a dog. It's an alien. You yeah. Know, it's a perfect situation. Okay. I got to Since we're doing this then, uh, dive in with a couple from the test scene that we talked about because it just slayed me this time and we sort of already highlighted right. how it's such a well put together scene. Um, but mainly because it shows off like 
Jay being Jay, but there are also just straight up amazing jokes that, like Daniel said, would work with anyone. Uh, like the him responding to the guys who are all talking about how you need the best of the best of the best. He's just really excited and he has no idea why we're here. That's just very funny yeah. to me. You guys aren't <laughs> laughing though. <laughs> and of laughing. course, why did you headshot the little girl? Are you kidding me? Little girl with quantum physics books? She's yeah. eight years old, Zed. Those books are way too advanced for her. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. Zed's line, gentlemen, thank you. You're everything we've come to expect from years of government training, which I I only got this time for the first yeah. time. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a so that's a rip. Yeah. Um, although I do got to ask about that opening, something that also only occurred to me this time. It, so D says to his partner, I think I'm ready to retire within seconds without D explicitly saying to he neuralizes him. What if he meant like, I want to have a party. <laughs> here's yeah. here's what you're yeah. going to tell me as my fake life. I've got it all set up. He just goes yeah. for it anyway. Yeah. Just like. Cracked yeah, here's how to use this existed. delete 30 years <laughs> right, of my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, like, I like to assume that that's part of some ritual and that, and that Kay wasn't uh, going completely rogue on that. But just yeah. uh, in case future coworkers are listening to this, if I ever say, I think I want to retire, that means I want you to talk me out of it. You're supposed to say, no, you still got <laughs> yeah, it. No, You're still, you still just can't. sharp as ever. I don't, I don't care that you feel like you missed a step D. Yeah, D really wanted to be D. in the movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, we should all just start calling each other initials. That would be yeah. so much cooler than what we do hey. now. A ADM? Yeah, that's right. D-A-M. I feel like we've spent enough time on this podcast not talking about Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, okay, to get to him, I just want to leapfrog over the only thing I want to say about Beatrice, which is, I don't know if it was the actor's choice, whose choice, but the choice to call him Egger, E-G-G-E-R, -G -G -E is amazing throughout. Egger, yeah. Egger, so good. Egger, hanging off your bones. Yeah. Like, one of the many lines Perfect. in this movie that, like, lives in my brain yes. as a song lyric that, I, that I, <laughs> yeah. I can just, like, play it in my head. I can hum it. There's a musicality to some of the visuals and definitely a lot yeah. of the audio of several characters, but no one more than Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Uh, holy shit. What a, I mean, I, we all know he's good. And right. at this time, I don't think we truly knew he was good. But this is like spectacular because coming back and watching it after, you know, decade or so. Uh, it's insane how it's unique. He never does anything like this ever again, really. No. And he's f so fantastic at the Is he on like comedy. a legal procedural or a cop show or something? Yeah, he, mainly? Was, he, he did he was later, he did uh, Law and Order, some, right, some right, version right. of Law yeah. and Order. But like, it's crazy that I think the main thing he did before this was Full Metal Jacket. That's what, yeah, uh, course, without looking yeah. him up, that's what I feel like. That's the Vincent D'Onofrio thing. For some reason... Sonnenfeld was like, that's my Edgar. That very specific, intense performance, that's who I need to be uh, my incredibly committed clown in this movie. It's an insane choice for him to make as a director, and it was the right choice. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, Abe, to your point, no one ever did anything like that with him again. There was nothing before or after. It was just this strange time capsule where he gave a perfect performance. And then after right. that, did like The Cell and... A law and order, ah, yes. and like pops up so. every every now and then. Like he was in a That's western, usually recently. like a creepy guy. Yeah. yeah, 
No, then, in the cell? He had that big cape. He invited everyone <laughs> into cape. his mind and stuff. Yeah, come on. He's like, come on in. Uh, and as he's aged, he's like become this kind of like secretly dangerous kind of soft-spoken man. Yeah. Uh, that's like kind of how <laughs> his we all aspire is to be. Right. We all want. <laughs> and the physicality, of course. I don't totally agree, yeah. Em. Um <laughs> just and there's even uh the performance I think contributes a lot a ton to the tone, the world building, and of course the set deck and the art direction and the music. Um, but I can only think of a handful of movies that had come close to this tone, like Mars Attacks and such. Yeah. And uh gosh, I love this tone, man. And it's uh interesting because I know the generation of filmmakers that we all idolize idolize stuff they grew up watching like Penelope pitfalls or whatever. I forget flash Gordon and you know, the stuff that inspired the stuff I love like star Wars and star Trek and such. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like in the case of like Indiana Jones, whatever it's based on pitfall, Harry or whatever the fuck, um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't demonstrably feel like that anymore. Like it feels like a full on revitalization. Um, Whereas when I see stuff that actually does feel like like Thunderbirds Go or whatever, it's boring. It feels boring and dated. Men in Black, Mars Attacks, and I don't know how they do it, and just like one or two other movies, um, successfully captured the aesthetic of a time that is no longer relevant, but still make it super fun and engaging. Like, I haven't seen Asteroid City yet, but I bet it tries to do that, and I don't know if it succeeds or not, but Men in Black succeeds in almost making me wish... I knew more about the pop culture of the 50s, and I don't really care about that, but it makes me want to briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, yeah. there's something uh, that touches on a lot of what you're saying, <coughs> excuse me, um, that I found in, in researching for this episode. Uh, I think another movie that fits into your Mars Attacks, Men in Black, is The Frighteners, mm. uh, which yeah. is another yes. like, perfect tonal piece. And, I, and one of the reasons that movie is so top of mind is... Uh, I learned in this research, uh, uh, Danny Elfman was giving an interview. He was on set of The Frighteners with Peter Jackson because he was working on that movie. And then Vincent D'Onofrio was on like, was shooting in the lot next door and walked over to set. It was like, Danny Elfman, Peter Jackson, come watch me play this part. I'm going to come watch my last scene. And uh, this was before Elfman was on board to score Men in Black. He was like fully not engaged with this project. But something in Vincent Vincent D'Onofrio was like, Hey, you two are kind of kind of weird kooks like me. You guys are both like freak geniuses like I am. You're gonna like this this crazy shit I'm about to do. Come see, come see, come see <laughs> come this see thing. It. Come watch me move my legs stiffly. <laughs> and I'm a, so, yeah, and I'm assuming that piqued his interest in the project. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A few days later, Danny Elfman gets a call. It was like, Hey, do you want to score this thing? It was like, Yeah, I don't need to see anything else. I watched. Yeah, the big, <laughs> the bug one. Yeah, man. Yeah. There's so much uh, there, like something about his performance and you nailed it there with like the stiff legs. It's like the joltiness of like he's really inhabited and it's not just in his the way he walks where he's sudden movements and then he realizes he can't like he, he because he's wearing an Edgar suit he doesn't know how to walk like a human so he's like oh I, my balance is off so he kind of quickly moves to another side so it's those kind of movements but it also is just like the the, the neck work and how he talks well, like and the one voice of the ones and that, that right right it sounds it, like his mouth throat is full of mandibles right <laughs> so, the one that I keep thinking of that you were me- you were kind of mentioning how they like kind of live rent free like musically in my head is like he goes it was a gift that I gave him oh my oh, god <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like that one kills me every time. So every that was that was a line that was like that. I still to this day will just say around my brothers because it was just like like a, a movie you love or a show you love. You just it's quote so it good. at each other and you just do the voice. And that I one is also in my notes. And the thing about the the remarkable and like perfect and beautiful and pure thing about this performance is it worked for me as a 13 or 12 year old or whatever I was watching this movie and not knowing shit about fuck and just being like, that voice is funny. His movements are funny. He's creepy. He's making me laugh. Right. This lights up my brain in a way. And it worked. It works uh, for me now as uh, somewhere between 22 and 37. When I read about it and the thought that he put into this character was like, this is a giant bug who is crammed into a too small Edgar suit. So he's not going to be able to move very well. He's going to be always uncomfortable, like folded in half being in this thing. He is also very frustrated. Uh, he's frustrated because he's uncomfortable in this body. He's also frustrated yeah. because he hates humans and he has to walk among <laughs> them and like not get found out by them. And he's also frustrated because he is a uh, an elevated race. He is smarter than everyone. And he's not allowed to show that too. Like he knows I can't destroy all humans and I can't show off that I'm a genius because I can't attract too much attention. And all of that is in his physical performance. Absolutely every right. bit of it. And it's so, it's such a magic trick to me that it was like, this is going to play for idiot 12 year olds and also thoughtful film appreciators 20 years later to just right. see the work that he puts in to work on multiple levels. It's so good. It's so fucking impressive. Um, I, I another one that like as you were saying, it reminds me of it. Like you can to totally see it when uh, there's another one right after he kills the Archelians, uh, like in the restaurant, and he's walking down the street, and he just puts his hand up yeah. to the face of a guy who's just like watching this monstrosity walk down the sidewalk. Yeah, and it's just such a like he's arching his back, he's grabbing it out of pain kind of like a human would if you like your spine hurt but you yeah. know it's not that you know it's because like he is this hulking mass that wants to get out of the suit and he doesn't know how to work this right and, and he's, he's just he's, like fuck off person i don't care about he's you know? just recovering from like he just let one of his uh sharp things out of the suit to kill the two aliens and now right. has to shove that back in him and like like find out perfect time. where where did that used to go in this in this suit you know like anytime that you're right you've been in an uncomfortable position and then like oh i finally freed my arm again all right i can go back to to whatever contortion i put myself in and right. he's just like showing all of that and just also being incredibly funny if you're not thinking about those things <laughs> Right. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if that was indeed the thing that he was thinking of during that. It also doesn't matter because he's trying so many of those things. Like every second there's a new thing that you just know the level of thought behind all yeah. the work is there. So it works. For me, it's um, one of the only examples yeah. of an actor putting a lot of thought into a role that uh, I actually like. Most of the time I hate when actors talk about their parts when, it, when it's like, I, in this one, this character is like kind of a panther. And even like the, uh, the Mercury robot, you know, like in the Terminator Nightcrawler 2. coyote, Nightcrawler's yeah. the one I like him. I yeah. like that he's a coyote, yeah. but yeah. But most of the time, I'm just like, just play pretend, <laughs> shut up. Like mm -hmm. Robert Patrick in Terminator Two was like, in my mind, he 
uh, saw through his ears. That's why I'm always turning my head that way. Shut up. This is the one example. <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio putting thought into his character. I'm like, yes, good. You're right. You did all the right things. I like it. You shall, You will not sanction this buffoonery. That's right. I uh, will not. <laughs> yeah. I'll go easier on that than, than method stuff. I guess just because I was a theater major and did that. Or, or Daniel, did you ever do the exercises where they're like, your father was either a troll or a fairy and your mother is an animal. And so now you just move around and make sounds and the class will try to guess which what the animals were what animal I, I, I hybridized did, uh, with what fa- am I, you know shit like that i guess it, the silliness got beat out of me no I, I i not specifically troll fairy but like i've certainly you're here's an improv scene you are meeting your girlfriend's father and you're asking permission to marry her and the thing that the audience doesn't know is that you are a squirrel so play that and so i i certainly would would like play squirrel as man and I find in, that in you find scene. stuff. You find usable stuff that way, no? Yeah, sure. But if I was an actor, I wouldn't <laughs> talk about that. To oh, anyone. you just don't tell people that that's how yeah, you did it. Yeah, don't tell people. It's embarrassing. Yeah. yeah, it's embarrassing, Michael. <laughs> if I was an actor, I would say the only good thing an actor should say, which is, it was all on the page. Writers are kings. Pay writers more. Writers <laughs> yeah. more? Yeah. Well, I just no, like. Right. The, you know, when uh, Tommy Lee Jones said that in the scene where he's spying on his ex-girlfriend from a satellite he's an orangutan in that scene <laughs> i think that you can really see that you can see the it in the way in, in the way eyes. he knows how to use a keyboard and stuff i have always thought the uh, orangutan is the <laughs> saddest of all of all of the great apes how many times you know? have you flashy thinking that woman couple. couple and you're not worried about long-term effects little little <laughs> so good to me I, have you ever flashy thinking me no no, no. <laughs> he is and i, I I have really loved uh, late career Tommy Lee Jones because I feel like he is doing, he's been doing a masterclass in doing so little. It seemed like there, there was a, a shift in his idea of acting where if you look at starting around No Country for Old Men and uh, Valley of Allah, where he is never big. He's like, even when he's learning about his son dying in Valley of Allah, mm-hmm. he is, you're not Underrated. seeing it on his face. There's no breakdown or anything. He is just the smallest movements and the quietest voice. And he is, it seems like, it really just seems like he has decided, I have nothing to prove. So let me, here's this new thing I want to try, which is I'm going to be the smallest actor ever. And I'm going to see how that works. So I've really enjoyed that, but God fucking damn it. He is so funny. He is so funny in this <laughs> yeah. movie. He's perfect. He understands this mm-hmm. character so well. Uh, I It'll break my heart if if I come across an interview with him where he's like, I didn't understand what was going on. I hated the <laughs> yeah, last yeah, movie. Yeah. It was stupid. Like so I don't want to hear was in shit. danger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He does get to play kind of both roles because he gets to kind of be larger than life. Um, in some instances, you know, with the the wacky, you know, kind of fight scenes that we got going, yeah. but also he does play the quiet, like the moment that He's you mentioned. Man. He does. Yeah. And when, yeah. when, when he meets Jay, uh, before Jay is a man in black and they're talking about the alien, it's like, did he say anything? He's like, yeah, he said the world was going to end. Did he say when? And like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, did his delivery when? of, yeah, did he say when? Game. And that like, like, it seems like he's genuinely like biting Worried. his lip, like hopeful. Yeah. Like maybe he did say, like, that would be really helpful yeah. for me. If he did, yeah, when it was gonna end. Yeah, I love that 
that kind of in the face of like these uh these cosmic odds and you have just the simple a simple question that is just like doesn't seem like it wouldn't be important all like that is the the tone of the movie all the way down to well the answer to everything is around a cat's collar yeah. you know like all that stuff it's it so feels like Douglas Adams and like the kind of existential like angst that comes from having that job right and having it's, it's that the question job that, that he would ask as an investigator of paranormal right. stuff because like if anyone else says to anyone else i saw this guy he said the world was going to end you either make right. a joke or you say you're crazy or you say he's crazy right or you move on but tommy lee jones deals with world ending shit all the time so he right. asks the only reasonable follow-up question and it's like yeah there's nothing inherently funny about that line in his reality it's just it works so well it works so well and because i think the, the other piece of the sauce is that it's like it's like an office it's like a you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of job, kind of like the postal service, which once again, Douglas Adams, you know, yeah. it's just like, it, it really is hitting hard that tonal kind of like, what if serendipity, uh, you're used to it to such an extent that it was right. just commonplace. Well, plus yeah. I feel like comedy rule that will never get old is earnestness plus impossibly ludicrous offer right. equals yeah. comedy. Like, you know, one of the earliest comedy rules you learn is, if your offer is there's secretly aliens everywhere, do not right. have the characters act like that's crazy. Oh God! Right? They have, yeah. It's so funny it's if they just mundane. sincerely act yeah. like people who deal with this all the time. It's yeah. the only way it works, and they know that and they nail it. Uh, I also, as the puppet fan, see our little shop <laughs> episode. I have to shout out at least at some point Rick Baker's puppets. The the, the, the puppet fan is also your your Batman villain alter ego as the puppet fan. <laughs> the yeah, I, I follow the ventriloquist guy around and just yeah. root him on. Um, yeah, the little Mac and me. Yeah, the little yeah. Oh well, I was gonna say the the little squid baby, and yeah. then oh, yeah. the of course the uh, Aquellian body that opens up and there's a tiny little puppet inside with little controls. Just yeah. one of the coolest puppets I'd ever seen as a so fan great. of like animatronic shit. Yeah. The yeah. Squid Baby is so awesome and cute and it really jumped out to me this time. Uh, like what truly yeah. adorable music Danny Elfman accompanied with that. Because he is, he gets to do everything in this movie. He gets to do like big triumphant galaxy stuff. He gets to do spooky stuff. He gets to do straight up weird stuff and some romantic stuff. And then he gets this baby and it's just like such a soft, cute little baby squid theme. It's a muscle that Elfman doesn't really get to flex, flex because yeah. he doesn't mm -hmm. he doesn't do movies that have cute things in them. He does monsters and goblins and stuff. Right. Yeah. And in kind of the same vein, just of, you know, being not being able to necessarily flex something he doesn't do all the time because it's in like Edward Scissorhands and whatnot. But like with a little Mac and me alien, like the, the sad eyes and like the I'm dying kind of. Yeah. aspect mm -hmm. like that music is great too because it's just like oh this is also something that the movie can do is a legitimately sad and kind of pathetic loss uh wow just it's, yeah. the movie goes everywhere yeah it breaks our heart twice because the first time uh gentle rosenberg gets killed right. <laughs> uh yeah. and all we know about him is he's got a gift for his daughter he loves his cat and mm -hmm. when uh 
Lurch Alien says, I ordered you some pierogies. He is so excited for his pierogies. There's like oh, genuine yes. joy on that man's face about the pierogies. And then he <laughs> fucking like, dies and I'm two. sad. And then his cute yeah. alien face dies and I'm sad all over again. Mm-hmm. All over again. It's they goddamn. They know how to they know how to play with our uh, with our minds, man. They fucking nail it. Uh I love that. And it's all kind of contingent. Imagine you're also doing like, let's go for that. Also, both of those moments have insane puppetry that yeah. has to be done. Right. And it's just and like, Jesus. Yeah. Last, or at least my last point on that front, uh, it ended up being CGI, but Rick Baker really lobbied for the final fight with the bug for the bug to be practical and built an animatronic mm. full size human sized bug. And they didn't use it. I want to yeah. see that thing. I kind of get it for a lot of. Those I get hits. for the moves that they're doing. It makes sense because that thing moves yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. Again, when it gets it's like jolts of the energy. Yeah, when it gets hit with the rock and like sort of curls around to see where the rock throw came from. That is like I one thousand percent believe that is how a creature that looks like that would move in that mm-hmm. instance. It's just perfect and really well done. Bo Welch yeah, and- also uh, was the production designer who I mentioned because he also did Edward Scissorhands. And I, you can definitely feel the overlap there. I love that the bug's ship is equally claustrophobic. Like this cockroach's life is being condensed into tiny cans, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to mention from like a Sonnenfeld directorial thing, and I think he did a little bit on uh, Adam's Family, but you can tell the Coen brothers' influence in it. Uh, just Raising Arizona alone, uh, you look at how that movie shows like single reaction, singles and reaction shots that are like, the w- lens is so wide and they're so close that there's a little bit of warping on the edges. You get a lot of shots from uh, Men in Black where you, they're kind of the same thing as done, where it's like someone's world is about to change or like in, you know, when the car, when he presses the red button and stuff like that, you get a lot of these kind of center punch shots that really show the world is kind of like distorted around yeah. people. The bug ship crashing the in front of the farmhouse shot yeah. that I think sticks with a lot of people. A lot yeah. of the Edgar sequence where it's like a close-up kind of like line delivery it's it's usually done on that wider lens and i think that that i love that how pedigrees kind of follow filmmakers as they develop and you can kind of like say like oh i don't know if they learned that trick or if they brought that trick to the table but it's there you know five six years earlier yeah um i want to i have two areas that i can i can shift to and one of them is uh like political stuff and how times have changed. And another one is just two lines that in in a a script by Ed Solomon that I think is great in a movie. I love two lines really bugged me. Uh, So which of those things would you rather hear? Which seem like richer veins to move into? Cause I know we we are short on time. Mm. Yeah. We got like five minutes. Let's hear the, I got, I'll pull the trigger. Let's hear the political shit. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I was go. Going into this, because I remember the movie so well, but I know that it came out in the 90s. So I went into it thinking, just remember that there might be stuff that doesn't hold up politically. Sure, and I was could, sort of yeah. like like prepping myself for uh, what would happen today if a movie came out where uh, an inarguably Southern old white guy was condescending to a young black guy and calling him tiger and slick and sport the entire movie. That's just like a look that we wouldn't 
have now. So I was prepared. Well, to also be... they work for a government agency that doesn't uh, answer to anyone and is above right. the law. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I, I was prepared for cringe, and I was prepared for for uh, stuff that was gonna end up sounding like a libertarian stream. Uh, and mm-hmm. that said, I yeah. I wasn't. It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And like opening with the border patrol trying to stop the uh, illegal immigrants crossing the border and Tommy Lee Jones immediately laughing off like the idea of doing that and like telling the mm-hmm. like sending the the people on their way and letting them know you're going to find work you're going to be fine you're going to continue being driven by honestly the best case scenario coyote anyone has ever gotten it seems <laughs> right. like a guy who's genuinely trying to get you across the border to uh, uh to work and a better mm-hmm. life and then laughing at the border patrol agents and like treating it as a joke like Thank you for your hard work protecting us from the scary aliens. Like he's sarcastic with the border patrol. Right. That was, it's, that must have felt so weird and progressive at the time. Like I, I'm surprised to see it now in a movie. The idea that in like the, from the border patrol, yeah. yeah, the border patrol is a joke. Shut the fuck up, you guys. This isn't a real concern. Right. I was like, good. I'm really glad that's in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was also super glad that like the, the government the, the secret agency wasn't, uh, their job is not, we're going to track all the aliens and kill the aliens. They're treating Earth, they've designated as a refugee planet for aliens, which is a really cool thing. Like, I'm glad that yeah. I, I fully don't think we as a planet would do that. Have done, do I, that. I, 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 was I, gonna like say, I do wonder, like, why would we agree to that? Do we have allies? Do we have a space force? Do we have a presence right. in space? You know, Velcro and microwaves, I mean, baby. Right. Capitalism. <laughs> the thing that's going to replace CDs. Uh, it was yeah. just like, like very refreshing to me. Like, wouldn't it be cool if the first time we found aliens, we were like, you are safe here. We're going to protect yeah. you. And, uh, and like really uh, commit to that. You know, they're, like, yeah. they're do it just targeting their money. Certainly, other but, yeah. species too, other species that are like super powerful or like not quite compatible with our biology or something like that. We'll make that work too. Yeah, go ahead, get a job in New York. You know, and like, like it, the, that's insane. The squid aliens, like, like that scene is super remembered for the baby that is cute and throws up on Jay. Like that's the meat of that scene. But really, while all the physical stuff is happening, it's Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. establishing that he has a clear relationship with this alien and he's not like the alien's not slack. Like, a bad yeah. guy he's just like you're not you know we're, we're here protecting you you're not supposed to leave why are you leaving what's there's something going on and, and you need to tell me and like the idea right. of, of uh, a government agent with limitless power and control still being like a sympathetic thoughtful guy who is like genuinely happy to see Reggie's squid baby born it's like yeah, that would be good too. I also wish we lived in a world with trustworthy <laughs> government officials. Really yeah. The more power you secretly endow uh, authoritarian types with, the better they do, and the more right. they support yeah. a healthy world. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad like we went that direction. I think we have time for you to squeeze in one of those lines you really like, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shout for, it for out. Such a tight script when. Uh, J and K are driving in the upside down car, the rocket car through the tunnel, and uh, K puts on Elvis. Jay says, you do know Elvis is dead, right? No, he's not dead. He just went home. 
I understand the joke you want is Elvis isn't dead because that is a conspiracy theory that's that's been going on for a long time. And like mm-hmm. this movie does a great job playing with popular conspiracy theories as Easter eggs. There is just right. a more elegant way to get to that joke because mm. I've been in cars where people have put Elvis on and been happy. And I've never thought to say, you do know Elvis is dead, right? I almost <laughs> never tell people who's dead. Oh, dude, if people put on <laughs> classical music, they're going to get an earful from me. This dude is rotting. This dude's a skeleton, dude. Uh, it's the, Turn it's this the shit most, off. It's purely only, it's only in there to get Tommy Lee Jones to of say course. his line. Right. And it's just, it's so corny and, 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 and bugged me, especially this time. Oh, okay. Well, I'll shout yeah. out one I really like this time that it doesn't live rent free in my head. So, like, I forgot about this <clears> line <throat> and was delighted to rediscover Zed's line. We're on a Torian day. It's 37 hours. Give it a couple months and you'll get used to it. Or you'll have a psychotic episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's such a Simpsons line right there. Yeah, yeah. 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 For uh, real. 30 seconds, the other line that I didn't like is one of the ones that like closes out the movie with J and L when she's like, uh, this alien race wants tickets to the Knicks-Bulls game. Like, okay, um, let's call Rodman. He's one of them. And she says, Rodman, you're kidding. And he says, nope. She goes, not much of a disguise. Well, which is it? Then Are you surprised he's an alien? Yeah. Are you not surprised that he's an alien? I right, 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 right. Plus, can't it's tattoos both. and piercings and colored hair. Like, uh, he still looks like a human. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's still a disguise. He doesn't look like an alien. Like, if you know what I mean, it's not earnest anymore. It seems like she's doing material at that point. Yeah, yeah. Agree. That's right. All right. Well, no movie's perfect and no podcast is perfect. Because if it were, we'd never have to part. Uh, but we would change topics because I don't want to talk about Men in Black forever. <laughs> forever. Um, that would be too much. So instead, we'll just end it. Uh, Abe, uh, what's coming out soon? Well, actually, first I want to ask. Uh, do, oh, can, I was going to do he, that in the other order, but go ahead. What's Commandeer. coming out next soon is we got a stuff that, uh, not stuff that I always do that, but we got Star Trek Next Futurama coming out, the 53rd episode on uh, on mm. Monday, the 7th of Future uh, August. We got uh, Shooting Threes on Lady Vengeance. So look for that with Sarah and Bridget on Friday, the 11th. And then we got another direct-to-piece theater done by Adam Ganser uh, on Escape from New York coming out mm-hmm. on the 14th. So that's that's what to look f- through, look to uh, in the future of Small Beans. I also I'll soft assumed you. that Daniel wouldn't want to talk about it because it'll be mostly strike stuff, and he said he didn't want to mm-hmm. talk about it. No, I but do But Daniel, now. what are you up to? Where can the people find you? Uh, who cares about that? You can find the podcast, quick question, whatever <laughs> podcast, whatever. Uh, I would encourage everyone to find the the writer of this movie, Ed Solomon, on Twitter. He's a great Twitter follow. And a lot of what he talks about is relevant to what we're dealing with in the writer's strike today because he wrote Men in Black, a movie that has made hundreds and hundreds of millions right. of dollars, has become a massive franchise with a television show and three more movies and probably more on the way if we're being realistic here. And- the studio is still not paying him his uh, due residuals on this movie because thanks to crazy manipulative Hollywood accounting tricks, they on paper claim they have not made a profit on this movie. And they tell him that once a quarter where you can like objectively see how many people are watching this movie, but they use tricky Hollywood math to, to, to deprive a writer of what they're supposed to have. And that's, 
that's 1990 fucking seven. So the the, yeah. the battle that we're facing right now is something yes. that's been going on for a while. It is like any labor union, labor movement in the history of America. It's about people trying to get fair wages for fair work. Uh, and so, you know, be aware of that and support Ed Solomon on Twitter. He's very funny and good and uh, is much better about articulating the problems with the strike than I am. So go to that. Do it. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks very, very Beautiful. Potato. Mm -hmm. uh, John Cusack said the same thing about Say Anything. He's never received residuals from it because they say it doesn't make money. Clearly it does. Absolutely. Weird way to end the podcast, though. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>